Well, indeed, it is a bit of an odd scripture to start with, and I think uh, would lend itself uh, quite easily to going in a very intense direction. But I assure you, one, yes, you had the right scripture. Uh, two, I don't want to be intense today, okay? I don't want to be intense. This is what I want to do today. All right, so let's just keep it light, all right? I hope to shed, speaking of light, I hope to shed some light um, on this scripture using Matthew uh, chapter 8 with Jesus and the demoniacs. And the question I want to answer uh, this morning is how do we approach brokenness? But before we read the scripture, I'll give you plenty of time to find it. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. Before we get there, I want to ask you a question about Christian jargon. Speaking of brokenness, I want to ask you a question about Christian jargon, words, phrases that you feel like is way overused in the Christian community, okay? Then I'm going to ask you what they are, and I hope this gives us a nice little chuckle as hopefully we don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, what are some words that you feel like? I'll start with one, Cindy, brokenness, okay? I'll start with one, brokenness. How about life together, all right, or doing life, doing life? What are some other Christian words that you hear all of the time that you feel like maybe might be overused a bit? Anybody? Somebody? Nobody? Blessed, hashtag blessed, yes. Oh, yeah, it's just season. It's a season of life, cat. Yes! And I think I'm embarrassed because I use all of these. Um, yes. Ooh, I'm going to say this in love. That's kind of like bless your heart, right? I feel like that gives us permission to say whatever we want to next. Yeah, anybody else? I'm going to pray about it. Nobody? Yeah, yes, yes. Are we, real, do we, are we really keeping you in our prayers? Yes, yes, absolutely. All right, well, I feel like if you were to do a top ten list of Christian words that um, are especially popular in this season, that get used a lot. They're not bad words. They just get used a lot. Brokenness would definitely be one of those words, am I right? I mean, we, we do hear it quite a bit. This morning, what I want to answer, though, even just to acknowledge the fact that, yes, this is kind of a hip word these days, um, but there's some truth that lies behind what we mean when we say brokenness, and I, I want to talk this morning about how do, we, how do we approach that? How do we approach that? But first, let's read uh, the word of the Lord out of Matthew chapter 8, uh, verses 28 through 34. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the uh, Gardarines, two men who were possessed by demons met him. They came out of the tombs and were so violent that no one could go through that area. They began screaming at him, Why are you interfering with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance, so the demons begged, if, if you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. All right, go, Jesus commanded them. So the demons came out of the men, entered the pigs, and the whole herd plunged down the steep hill uh, side into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to nearby town, telling everyone what happened to the demon-possessed men 
Then the entire town came out to meet Jesus, but they begged him to go away and to leave them alone. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, again, maybe another slightly odd passage to include in this morning. Um, But I want to pick back up with King Manasseh. How do we approach brokenness? Well, my devotions lately has been taking me to 2 Kings, and I've been staying in there journeying from one narrative to the next. It's absolutely fascinating, and I would encourage you, if you have not read uh, 1 Kings or 2 Kings lately, you should do it. It's incredible. Well, in the story of King Manasseh, we find yet another king who was doing evil in the sight of the Lord. In fact, what King Manasseh had done is he had switched his hope, so to say, to other gods. He had then now been inviting the authority of other lords and other gods and other religions into the land of Judah, all around, into Jerusalem, wherever you went, here was these pagan images of whom King Manasseh had shifted his hope, trust, and maybe even to glean some power from these things. And so Jerusalem, the house of the Lord, had become unrecognizable. I think what I see in this passage that really relates to where I'm living and I think where we are living is that just prior to this passage, there was... um, there was a king that let the Babylonian ruler into Jerusalem, and he used the words of Judah, but led, but led the people of God in a way that was idolatrous. But he used the words of Judah. And here's King Manasseh, who's living in the Holy Land, He is the king of the people of God. (laughs) He looks the part. He probably even uses the words of Judah. But yet his kingdom is unrecognizable to the eyesight of God. I think what resonates with me in this is that we live in a land that uses the words of God, do we not? It's on our dollar bills. We live in a land that knows language. We even include religious liturgy in the inauguration of our presidents. We use the language. We know the words. We use the symbols. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's a little too real for me. Because what do you do when you realize that the land that you live in knows all the words but doesn't know the heart? So where were you on the day of Roe v. Wade? Where were you? Do you remember that? Do you remember when they put that into law? And here was our country who uses the words of God but allows something like abortion to happen. Did that not pain you? Did that not grieve you? Did that not break your heart? Am I talking nonsense? We don't like abortion here, right? And 
But what do you do about it? We've elected Republican president after Republican president since that time. Up to this point, it hasn't been termed. What do you do? I mean, you would probably say, man, I hope I haven't just totally flat laid an egg here. I don't think you would say that law is wholesome, right? I think you would say that that represents something that is not right in this world. It's broken. But what do you do with it? And the further we get away from Roe v. Wade and the more leaders that we elect that think are going to do something about it and it doesn't happen, does it not leave you in some sort of state of despair? Let me just give you another one. And I talk about real-life issues here because they're real life to me. No point not talking about real-life stuff to me. Climate change is another one for me. I don't know. It's, it's, it's probably false. It's probably created by Chinese people. It probably is. But it's, the climate is just a lot different than when it was when I was a kid. And there's effects because of it. So global warming is probably a myth, but something outside is changing. And it is not good. It's not good for things that rely, like rivers, <laughs> and people that rely on rivers. Um, there's stuff happening not good. What do you do about it? Does it, ever, like, does it ever cause you to almost lose hope? When you read yet another article about the things that cause you to go, what is going on in our world? And so it may, it may represent one issue on one side of the aisle. It may represent an issue on the other side of the aisle. But come on, let's be honest. Let's unite for one second. There's issues on both sides of the aisle that make us go, something here is terribly wrong. <laughs> something here is broken. What do you do at work? What do you do at work when your boss is a total uh, goofball? When your boss is a total goofball and you can't seem to get the person to like work with you or to even acknowledge something that would be simply humane, they just continue to be a goofball. What do you do when you feel like when you're living in a situation that is broken? How do you approach that? What about your family system? What about your relationships when your girlfriend won't text you back? Praise God, I didn't date in a world of texting. Ooh, it would have broke my little heart. By you, though, by you, when you're not getting the acknowledgement that you want, or you don't feel like you're getting the praise that you want, or that your parents aren't turning to you, and giving you the attention that you feel like you need. And you would say this situation is broken. How do you approach this? There's this story in Matthew that we read. And what would you describe as broken in this scene? Jesus encounters two men. They are possessed by demons. They're causing chaos. There's chaos being caused within them and chaos within their context of where they live. There's chaos there. And so Jesus comes in and encounters them in their brokenness. But in the very presence and in the very light of Jesus, what, what, what happens? When he speaks, what happens to this chaos? Oh, of course, church, I know. I'm not telling you anything new. It's, it's, you know it. That's the whole point. 
you know it. So we should embrace it. What happens when Jesus speaks? Say it again, Sherry. Say it real loud so we can all hear it. What happens? Yep, they went out. They obeyed. Yes, the demons had to flee. Now, the one commentator I was reading this week says that this passage has nothing to do with economics. I'm not sure that, that he's particularly right on this. Jesus is in a Gentile area, so raising pigs was not a big deal. If he was in a Jewish area, this would be very uh, controversial. But he's not. He's in a Gentile area. Uh, pigs are an unclean animal. Uh, Gentiles raise pigs. And in that agriculture agricultural, agrarian culture, pigs would have represented a significant portion of their economy. And so the people had realized, oh, come on now, go with me here. I wasn't, trying to get, I wasn't trying to get political. All I was trying to do was name things that I think some of us say is broken in our world. I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm not interested in that. Vote for Jesus. That's how you need to vote. I'm not trying to get political, just trying to name things People like it when politicians talk real speech. Well, this is your pastor trying to talk real speech. In that area with the, with, with the, the pigs, the people were more willing to let demons rest in human beings and keep the human beings at bay than to let the demons rest in their economy. They could control the human beings. They could put the human beings in a cave, but don't mess with their money. <laughs> you see, I do agree with the commentator when he says this, this passage is about Jesus' power. So when Jesus shows up to the scene, he's so powerful and almighty that human money means nothing to him. He will provide for us. He provided for the Israelites. He will provide in the future. He what depicts to him? Come on. He is the economy. His very presence is the economy. He doesn't need to pick a farm. And so when he shows up, yes, he's all authoritative. Yes, he is all powerful. And because he owns it all, he has no problem saying, go ahead, go into these pigs. And Jesus wrecks their economy. Now, he wasn't kicked out of that town because he was too Pentecostal. He was kicked out of that town because he messed with their Lord. You see, they used the language. <laughs> they liked the idea that a Savior would come and save them. But the images that they had surrounded themselves with, their heart had become so entrenched and so engrossed in the real lords and the real idols of their day, money. That God's all cute when he sends his son in the manger and we love that. But when his son grows up and comes into our life and begins to rearrange the way we spend money, we don't love his son anymore. So I was reading this week in my devotional. Uh, it's, an incredible, it's an incredible devotional book. I think each of you should own it. Um, I'm forgetting the name of it now, but it's... it's <laughs> It's published by the Foundry, and it's incredible. It is an incredible book. But uh, in there, this, uh, this uh, person writes this prayer. And I'm paraphrasing it here in my own words. But I prayed this this week because I was using a guided prayer book. And so it wasn't my language. It was this person's language. And as I prayed it, I, realized, I said, whoa, what did I just say? <laughs> I might want to take that back. What did I, <laughs> what did I just pray for? 
Stop hiding brokenness as a curse which leads to bitterness and despair. Instead, befriend brokenness as a gift that moves us toward Christ. This, this leads us to make a couple points here about confession and about intercessory prayer. But before I do that, I just want to go back and we read this quote through some of the things that I said earlier. Stop hiding Roe v. Raid as a curse which leads to bitterness and despair. Instead, befriend this decision. What? Befriend it as a gift, as a moment of grace that moves you out of necessity to call on something that can fix this situation because God knows we can't. (laughs) This is for me. This is not for you. Climate change is a hoax. Stop hiding climate change as a curse which leads to bitterness and despair. Instead, befriend climate change as a gift. God, that is hard for me to do. That requires me to call on you and no other God. Money is not going to fix this. My allegiance to the Indiana Hoosiers is not going to fix this. My MDiv is not going to fix this. My own intellect, my own strength is not going to fix it. I've got nowhere else to turn. The government is not going to fix that. The Paris solution is not going to fix that. The only thing that I have in my hopes to see this world be treated the way God asks us to treat it is to call upon his name. You see, and I think this might be the very idea of intercessory prayer. Do you guys know what intercessory prayer is? Here's intercessory prayer. It's very simple. Whenever you pray for someone else, dear God, please help Julie Hayden. Okay? I just said, I interceded. I prayed for God for somebody else. That is intercessory prayer. Standing in the middle here, interceding for someone else. You see, the, the brokenness gets messy, right? <laughs> Obviously, I think just the fact that I mentioned a couple political issues that I would say are broken made us all uncomfortable in this room. Brokenness is, is, is messy. But I see, I think what happens sometimes, Shelly, in intercessory prayer, when I'm praying for you, and let's say that you might be stressed or you might be carrying a high level of tension, I kind of bear it all on me, and then I become in despair. Because I, because I can't fix you. And I've given you a hundred different referrals. <laughs> I've called a thousand different people, all to try to fix your mess, and I can't. And so I, in return, grow bitter. I grow bitter at you. I grow bitter at the problem. Say you're praying, no longer for Shelly. Say you're praying for an alcoholic. You've done everything you can do. And what do you you sometimes say? God forbid, but what do you sometimes say? I'm done praying. He's going to have to fix himself or herself. I'm done. Oh, man. What if we just switched the perspective here real quick, right? Just switched it. 
Instead of hearing Shelly's request and falling down in brokenness, right? Ripping and tearing our clothes, which are all legitimate responses. But instead of just staying there, going, oh, I don't know. Shelly's a mess. She's gone. She's lost. She can't fix herself. I can't fix her. I'm done. Nah. Instead, to rush over, throw your arms around Shelly and say, I am so grateful that you've given me an opportunity to call on the only name that can exist. See, God says to Israel that he's going to come and he's going to wipe our slate clean. Oh, I think what he means there is he's going to take away every idol, everything that we call on, everything that we think can fix us, and remove it all, and in the presence will be his only light, and all of our eyes will be cast upon him, and our knees will hit the ground, and we will bow before the light, and we will see that Jesus, and only by Jesus, can anything exist at all. And it looks a lot different in our intercessory prayer life is when we start embracing one another in the gift of grace. Not saying, oh, I'm so happy that you're in a mess, but oh, I am so happy that Jesus has come to you to fix this mess. I am here every day, sister, from night till from dusk till dawn. I am with you. Calling upon the name of the Lord is not your job to fix. It's your job to enter the cave where the chaos is happening. Oh, say, oh man, you are so broken. I've got a name I want to call out. Jesus! Well, I'm not going to belabor this sermon. I hope you know that when God created the world, he did not create the world for people to have abortions. God created the world. He did not create the world for me to pollute it with plastic. These matter. They matter. And they don't belong to issues of Democrat or Republic. They belong to the people of God. We need to call out on the name of Jesus together. We got no other hope, guys. None. I do agree with you. I'm not trying to be facetious. My heart grieves for the babies that have been aborted and the moms who feel like that's their only course of action. My heart grieves for the mothers. My heart grieves for the families. My heart grieves for the babies. Let's call on the name of Jesus. I'm not trying to be facetious here. If, that is the, if that's the issue that you care most about, think, praise be to God, there are people on this earth that care about that so much. And if you're like me in climate change, I agree with you that I think it's a real serious issue. Praise be to God, you exist. Let's call on the name of Jesus. Now let's move out of the political. I'm sorry. Just write that one off, okay? Forgive me. Please don't kick me out. I want to come back next week. I got, a, I got one other story I want to show you. And remember, I don't want this to be serious, so I hope you can laugh at this picture. Carson, we're just going to speed up and go to that picture I gave you. Now, this is a serious issue for me. Anybody know what that is? Yeah! Yeah, and that's our old friend Austin Holt that used to go to church here way back in the day. That's Austin with the fishing pole fishing out of one of the lakes in the potholes outside Post Coffee. Now, you say, now, Jake, why does that give you so much stress? I just want to remind you, we're the landlords of this property. Why does this give me so much stress? Because we own the pothole. We had a guy almost sue us the other day because he popped his tire coming through one of those potholes. Well, one, dude, what you, why are you driving through the lake? One. Two, I called Roger. Maybe this should be off the record. I called Roger and I said, Please tell me they don't have 
please tell me they don't have the right to sue us, right? Is our insurance, are, are we uh, held liable if someone drives through one of the 75 poles in our parking lot? Are we held liable to that? You know how much it costs to repay this parking lot? A lot. We don't have the money for that yet. Roger says, no, <laughs> no, you're fine. 20 minutes later, he calls back, I was wrong. <laughs> Seriously, true story. Don't give Roger a hard time. He volunteers this time. Uh, and so Roger called back and he said, oh, you know what? Actually, I did some more research and yes, we are hell liable. So every day I go out in that parking lot, it's hard for me to have peace, Kevin. I'm going to be honest with you. Part of my responsibilities as the lead pastor of New Beginnings Church is to be uh, the quote-unquote acting owner of Chipman Commons. That's my responsibility right there. That's our responsibility. There's some other factors at play here that leads me some days to feel like I'm hopeless. There could be some contributing factors that are out of our control that we've tried to communicate. We've written emails. We've invited leaders to come onto our parking lot. We've had a year of conversations about what is contributing to this mess. If we could just get it to dry up, we could pave it. But the problem is there's water in it all the time. That water's coming from somewhere. We don't know where that water is coming from. We can't get anyone to take us seriously. Everyone's denying. All right, so this is a real issue. It's not just a real issue for my office. It's a real issue for our church. This is our problem, (laughs) y'all. One day I'm going to leave. You're going to remain. This is your problem. It's your problem. I lead it, but I'm just here to shed blame today. (laughs) I'm here to share it with you. I don't know what else to do. So I was in here a while ago, and I was praying, and I was praying hard for our parking lot because I don't want to be sued. You don't want to be sued. I don't want to. No one wants to be sued. So I'm in here praying hard for our parking lot. Plus, I just think it looks cruddy. Doesn't it look cruddy? It's one of the best businesses in Lee Summit, and they got two lakes with a bird bath and a fishing demonstration. I didn't tell you what he's doing. He's trying out a lure here. He was selling a lure at Post Coffee, and so he puts it on a pole and goes to that little lake and throws and says, here's how the lure works. <laughs> the post monster that lives underneath there, yeah. I don't want to be sued. You don't want to be sued. So what do we do? I'm in here praying about it. God comes to me like Manasseh. He cleans my slate. Praise the God he didn't kill me to do it. But he reminds me of who he is. I was standing right here. God said, Jake, don't you know who I am? You're praying for a parking lot? <laughs> don't you know that I've created the world? I own every resource, and you're praying for a parking lot? And I began to laugh. I began to laugh because I knew that God is going to provide for us. And on October 21, 2018, if the story were to be written today, it would sound like God abandoned us, that God does not love us, and that God is not present. But the story is not written today. I know God will not leave us. Will you join me in intercessory prayer over our parking lot? You might think that that's silly. I don't think it's silly. It's, it's my reason for despair. There's a little patch of gray right here on my beard that I haven't had for 36 years. It just popped up. It's that stinking parking lot, okay? 
It's my despair, and I know it's not your despair, but I'm sharing it with you. Would you come alongside me and intercede with me for this parking lot calling on the name of Jesus? For when Jesus shows up, all things are made right. All things are made pure, including the parking lot, that there is nothing that can stop God from fixing that for us. Not a thing. And I want to join you, and I want to pray for your husband, and I want to pray for your spouse. I want to pray for your family member. I want to pray for your boss. I want to pray for that political issue which is turning your hair gray. I want to pray for that. Not in a way that leads me to despair that says, man, nothing good can come from here, but a place that leads me to laughter, saying, oh, man, God follows through on all of God's promises. That enters brokenness with a type of grace that sees that parking lot as laughter. Ooh, this gives, who doesn't like to laugh? This gives me a chance to laugh because God's going to show up here and show everybody wrong. <laughs> kind of like what we've done with this property. People driving by laughing at the dilapidation of uh, uh, what they used to call it, Summit Center or something like that, Summit Plaza. They used to drive by here and laugh at it in a mocking way. Now we're laughing because we've turned this thing into one of the most beautiful things going in Lee Summit. Who's laughing now? God, because when God steps in, he wipes the despair clean, filling it with hope. I imagine this morning that I would ignite your imaginations. <laughs> I don't know if I did that, but that's what I imagined would happen. I would ignite your imaginations, and together we would leave as a family into our communities, shining the light of hope, embracing the darkness. Not with the despair, woe is me, the world's going to end by 2030. Woe is me, the world's going to end because the person's in the presidential office that I don't like. Woe is me. No. What if you embrace that with grace as a gift? giving you the opportunity to shed light in an area that desperately needs Jesus and only Jesus? What if you went home and hugged that person today that you're in a fight with and said, man, there's some legitimate issues here that make me upset at you and we got to deal with those, but I'm embracing you and embracing this opportunity as a moment to call upon Jesus because I know he's going to show up and, and we're going to laugh later. I'm calling on Jesus. Is that making sense at all? I like us to seeing this little light of mine as we go into the Eucharist. Because I like to think that that's what we're going to do today. Who is it in your life that you need to embrace as a gift rather than as despair? What situation is it that you need to begin to approach and look at that situation with grace as opposed to despair? It is because of Jesus Christ that we're able to look at these things and embrace them. Where in your world will you go today to shine light? A little light. Going to hide it under a bushel? No! Don't let it shine. Well, this week, I will pass on some language of prayer and invite you to pray with me. May the Lord lead you not to run away from brokenness into despair. But may you embrace the brokenness in your life as a gift of grace from our Lord in order to call on him and him alone. <laughs> let's stand and let's sing this kid's song.